All right, glad you're with us. Happy Monday. You know, one thing I realize is the media mob is never, ever, 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 ever going to ever, ever go back, examine, be introspective, reflective, decide that, well, after two and a half years of lies, propaganda, misinformation, conspiracy theories, hoaxes, prayerful, wishing, hysterical reporting every second minute hour of every day, um, you know, hyperventilation every day that they get Trump. They're just they're just they're never going to admit that they've done this and done this wrong. I mean, now that we have the Bruce Orr 302s, I am telling you, this is just now the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we now know happened. We're going to get into that in the course of the program today. Um, nor are they going to stop their hatred of all things Donald Trump. It's never going to end. And what we're wa- watching now, what we're witnessing now, is it just is a transfer. All it is is whatever the daily talking point happens to be. There's no crisis is manufactured. You got Democrats saying it. You get the media mob saying it. It's racist, 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 stormy, 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 impeachment, 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 Russia, 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 collusion, collusion, collusion. It doesn't matter. They're just going to lock in, lock on and and speak with one unified, sick, twisted, ugly, lying voice every second minute hour of every day. I mean, you got look. They just got the biggest beat down. They had believed it themselves. They sold it to their audiences, which are now at record lows. How could you ever trust these people? You know, creating false hope built around lies that were provable if they ever did any work, if they ever cared for seeking truth. Um, And now rather than admit, reflect, have introspective moments, realign themselves get back on the right path is that's not going to happen with these people it's just in the media they are a mob and the mob is out there and every day they get their mob talking points and the media mob goes out like sheep and they regurgitate whatever it is that the democratic party is focused and fixated on that hates trump that second that minute that hour of that day you know i mean imagine Obama being president and and having a host like they do at MSDNC, you know, Donald Trump has been talking about exterminating Latinos, like the concentration camp analogy. Well, we sent Griff Jenkins down to the concentration camps at the borders, meaning the detention centers. No, they're not Auschwitz. No, there's no extermination of Latinos going on, Nicole Wallace. No, that's not happening. Um... And it it's just it, what you have. What did we see? Oh, we saw food, water, medicine, medical attention, soccer fields, recreation centers. Let's see. Televisions, telephones. Is it ideal? No, it's not ideal. Also, it's safe and it's certainly more secure than our big cities. Oh, we did have another weekend of violence. I did not notice any media coverage of the weekend in violence, but we had 40 wounded 40 shootings in Chicago this weekend. Oh, well, it's not Dayton. It's not what happened in El Paso. They can't go ahead and politicize it. So let's play. We can't blame Trump for this. So why bother talking about it? Is it the people that they care about or is it the the political weaponization of tragedy that they care about? 
Let's see. 33 separate gun incidents in Chicago alone this weekend. I bet all of you listening to this program, just a guess, never heard that before. And we have, let's see, eight dead and 40 wounded over the weekend in Chicago. And I doubt I didn't I haven't heard of any deaths at any detention centers this weekend or concentration camps as they are affectionately known by Democrats. It's you know what a, it is. It is what it is. It is this selective phony moral outrage and it's not going to stop. This is now full on. Go for it. They are going to smear, slander, besmirch, attack, bludgeon. Donald Trump, his supporters, every second, every minute of every day, because it's not every two years like I told you it used to be, or every four years like I had told you it used to be. It is now a 24-7, 365, never-ending mission to destroy Donald Trump. And now that they've had this epic fail, they're just digging in harder and harder and harder and getting more extreme and more radical and more intense every single day. You know, the idea, I mean, what, what happened? What were we expecting with Robert Mueller? They, they were hoping just really for one sentence that they could cling on to like a life raft out in choppy waters out in the ocean in some remote area. That will give them some life for impeachment on this Russia lie that they've been peddling. But they didn't get it. They didn't they they thought they had it. And I hate to tell you something. Everybody knew that Mueller was not up to testifying. If I knew it, they knew it. But they knew it, but they didn't care about Mueller. They didn't care about, you know, for all intent and purposes, whether I like him or don't like him. I mean, the guy worked in the FBI, served his country, was a Marine, uh, served in combat. I mean, and then they've lectured us for questioning how his the, the hiring of Clinton's lawyer. He didn't even know Clinton's lawyer was on the team, and they knew that, too. He never knew of Fusion GPSs. They knew that, too. They knew he wasn't up for testifying. They all knew he wasn't up for testifying. They didn't give a flying rip about Robert Mueller. They just cared about using him no matter how embarrassing it might be to him that he didn't know as much about his special counsel as he should because they wanted to, to weaponize him and use it to bludgeon Trump further. And every two years, every four years, it's Republicans are racist and sexist and misogynistic and homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, and they want dirty air and dirty water. And they want children to die. And they want grandma and grandpa to eat cat food and dog food. And then when they run out of cat food and dog food, whoever the Speaker of the House is, maybe Paul Ryan, Kevin, whoever the leader of the Republicans in the House is, or the president himself, they'll throw granny over a cliff because they want her to die. That's their message. This has worked for them for a long time. And then the race card is played. 98, Missouri radio ad. If you elect Republicans, well, crosses are going to burn. Or the James Byrd dragging death that was like my father was killed all over again because George Bush didn't support hate crimes legislation. No, he supported the death penalty for the evil people that dragged this poor innocent man to his death. He supported the death penalty. He didn't support the hate crime. He supported the death penalty. But that's not told. Or 
you know, the, if you go before predominantly African-American audience and it's an election year and your name's Al Gore, Republicans have the wrong agenda for African-Americans. They don't even want to count you in the census. Or if you're Biden, it's going to be they're going to put you all back in chains. Or if it's Hillary, you're just going to have this total flip flop, change tone, cadence, delivery and speeches. If you happen to be speaking before a predominantly African-American audience, the, the, the real truth behind well do their policies help the people they claim to help well if you look at chicago decades and decades of democratic a democratic politicians running the place well it's one of the most unsafe cities in the entire country if you look at baltimore the numbers we've been given decades and decades of democratic run policies if you look at the the minority community under Biden Obama, well, what happened? Well, minorities in America were disproportionately negatively impacted by their crappy socialist redistributionist share the wealth policies. And yeah, there was more dependency. 13 million more Americans, food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s, worst recovery since the 40s, and more debt than 41, uh, than all 43 presidents before Obama combined. Whoopsie-daisy. And then Donald Trump. Let's see. Oh, the best employment situation since 1969. You don't hear that from the, the media uh, that claims Donald Trump is talking about exterminating Latinos in his concentration camps. This is how sick, ugly, twisted, bizarre it's gotten. And it's not going to stop. We are in full 2020 daily beatdown Trump election mode. It is bludgeon, bludgeon, bludgeon. It doesn't matter that it's selective moral outrage on their part. You know, why is it Donald Trump has record low unemployment for African-Americans, uh, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment? I had a job as a kid, kept me out of a whole host of trouble. How did that happen? Well, it's called simple conservatism. And that means, yeah, ending burdensome regulations, the government uh, getting rid of the high taxation on corporations and individuals. And lo and behold, 7 million jobs are created, 7 million fewer people on food stamps. Uh, now we're energy independent for the first time in 75 years. That's good for both national security, and that is also good for wealth creation and a rising tide lifting all boats, because that means high-paying career jobs and energy could be all ours. Unless, of course, the new Green Deal ever comes into place. There's nothing they won't say or nothing they won't do. There's nothing more out. There's, there's no lines anymore as it relates to your mob in the media and the Democratic Party. They have imagined they, they had what they thought was a layup. Now, it didn't happen with the House Intel investigation. It didn't happen with the FBI investigation. It didn't happen with the bipartisan Senate investigation. But Mueller was it. Mueller was the layup. Mueller was the slam dunk. Mueller was going to be the nail in the coffin. Well, it didn't work. So they'll still talk about impeachment, but they've got nothing. They've had nothing. They, they so Now they've got to find something new to latch onto as quickly as they can in the hopes that that they could no matter what they've got it he can't he must be stopped this is how sick this has gotten and this is a psychosis a rage of madness that has taken over
And it is all for what? So we can institute the new green deal? Everything's free? Everything? Really? Did we not learn from Obamacare? That was one aspect of our economy. Millions lost their doctors in spite of promises. Millions lost their plans and everybody paid more. But everything's going to be free, free, guaranteed jobs, sustaining wage, guaranteed health care, guaranteed retirement, guaranteed pre-K, guaranteed college, guaranteed healthy food, guaranteed, 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 guaranteed. We'll retrofit every building. Who pays for it? We do. Okay. Guaranteed. Uh, we're going to all well, the money you've got is in the wrong hands. That's the only problem. 70% tax rate individuals, 90% tax rate corporations. Uh, we're going to put windmills in the Hudson and windmills everywhere. And we're going to get off oil and gas and no more combustion engine and no more airplanes and no more cows. This is where they want to take the country. This is madness because that will lead this country into poverty. Almost instantaneously, it will be that dramatic. So we're going to get into everything. Uh, I mean, the a number of Biden gaffes this weekend, which we'll get to in the next half hour. I mean, if Donald Trump had made any of them or oh, look, it's it should be obvious. This is now a never ending campaign season. It's never going to stop. There's not going to be any self-reflection. There's not going to be an apology. There's not going to be a correction. They're not going to admit they were wrong. They're not going to change either. So they'll go from Russia, Russia, impeach, impeach, collusion, collusion. They'll go to story to story, to stormy, stormy, to asshole, asshole, to racist, racist, to this, to that, to, you know, manufactured crisis, manufactured crisis. That's all they're going to do. If Democrats really cared, think back. If I'm wrong and, you know, the race to politicize El Paso, Texas and Dayton is obvious because if they cared, they would have talked about the violence this weekend, the 40 shot this weekend, the eight murdered this weekend in Chicago alone. They haven't. They won't. That would then expose liberal cities and liberal governance for the failure to fix the most fundamental of problems. That is keeping their citizenry safe to, you know, 2019 or eight, 1,249 shooting incidents in Chicago. I mean, murders, shootings, tapping it. Why? Why are we not hearing what Baltimore? Same thing. Why are we not hearing it? Detroit, why don't we hear it? Why do they? Because I'm going to tell you what it's about. It's, sadly for them, it's about politics. You know, it, they, they care. K Kavanaugh, sexual assault, allegations, that was outrageous. They were. They, they believed. No, I believers with the credible accusations against the lieutenant governor. Not one I believer in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I want to talk about Russian interference, Hillary's dirty Russian dossier. No, it's only if it impacts Trump. Obstruction, forget about bleach bit, subpoenaed emails, deletions, hammers. Now, that doesn't matter. You know, if they cared about shootings, why don't they care about the 40 people shot this weekend in Chicago? Why? Because they can't bludgeon Trump with it, can they? Quick break. Right back. We got a lot to get to. And yeah, we'll hit this whole uh, issue involving Epstein straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. If you take liberal logic to its ultimate conclusion we discussed last week, 
And then, of course, Bernie was responsible for the Scalise shooting in the ball field and the shooting of others. Then, of course, Elizabeth Warren and every socialist is responsible for the Dayton shooter. And if that's the case, every crime committed by every illegal immigrant that's a, and every politician that is unwilling to build the wall because it's immoral, every heroin overdose from heroin that crosses that border, we would, using their logic, blame them. Every violent incident, every homicide, every rape, every murder, every violent assault would be because they refused to control the border. That's how, that's how they play this game. Now, if you care about people and shootings and guns, why have they allowed this to go on in every big liberal city in America? Why? The, 40 people shot Chicago this weekend. Nobody talks about it. So far, 1,249 Chicago shooting incidents this year alone. Decades of liberal ruin, and nothing is said, ever. You want to talk about sexual assault? Well, it's only believers coming out and and running to the TV cameras, but only if you can bludgeon Trump. El Paso, that's talked about because you can bludgeon Trump, talk radio, you know, top fold New York Times uh, today. Uh, it's, it's cable news and talk radio that has caused people like the Opaso shooter, uh, the Opaso, Texas shooter. Well, what about the Dayton shooter? Well, what about the shootings in Chicago? Well, what about the shootings in Baltimore? What about the shootings in the ball field? Steve Scalise will join us. It's not intellectually honest. But, you know, you care about Kavanaugh, the strangest allegations. You know, every other weekend, the boys would line these girls up in the hall and give them punch that was spiked, and they would line up and take their turns and gang rape young teenage girls every other weekend. And then it became, well, I never saw Kavanaugh. I saw him near the punch bowl, and I never saw him give anybody any punch, but I saw he had a red solo cup, and then it evolved. Well, he was in the hall, but he wasn't lined up in the hall. And the media went, no, I believe. Anyone believe the lieutenant governor, the Commonwealth of Virginia, because I watched those interviews with Gail King, and I kind of believed that they really need to be investigated, believe in due process. Do you care about Russian interference? Why don't you care about Hillary's dirty dossier? Well, you can't bludgeon Trump. You care about obstruction? Why don't you care about Hillary's, let's see, subpoenaed emails that were erased, bleach bit, hammers, devices, SIM cards? Why don't you care there? You can't bludgeon Trump with it. That's the problem. That's where their inconsistency is so apparent. I, my staff is telling me to go to Kyle in Atlanta, News Talk 750 WSB, uh, WSB Radio. What's going on? How are you, Kyle? I'm wonderful, Sean. How are you today? I'm good, sir. What's on your mind today? Well, I was calling to say thank you. It, today would have been my parents' 60th wedding anniversary, and oh. you play an important part in that. Uh, they're both passed on, but about... 1991, 92. You, I called and asked you, how do I, how do I get on radio? How do I get, how do I do what you did while you were in Atlanta? You called back in the, on the night that I, I was on in Atlanta father. from 92 to 96 as a local host. Yes. Yeah, correct. On W. I know it's 96 because um, the Atlanta Journal Constitution had a year end edition. 1996 was a great year. The Olympics you came left. and Sean Hannity left. Correct. Well, you, in my eyes, helped me through a very terrible time. You said some. You, you called and you said, "Hey, I want to talk to you." And I said, 
not a good time. I apologize. And he was like, what's wrong? What I sent you, you did. You were very nice. You said, what's wrong? What, what's going on? And I told you, my parents, uh, there was some infidelity. And you said, I said, I feel like it's my fault. And you're like, and you said, hey, hold on a second. You said a prayer for me. You said, Kyle, God will get you through this. Stay the path. Work hard and follow your dreams and do not let this distract you. And I know that sounds simple and easy to have said, but it left an indelible mark on me just to keep plowing through. And it really, I swear, every day on this day, I think of what you said to me that night, and it meant the world to me. And I've now always wanted to say thank you, and today you answered it, and I appreciate it. Well, I got to tell you a quick story, but it also happened when I was in Atlanta and you're very kind to say so. Um, you know, look, all of us as human beings, we're going to have tough days Then nobody gets a pass. You know, everyone says, well, the rich, no, 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 no. I don't know a rich person that doesn't have the same problems as everybody else. The only thing they have is money. Um, and sometimes that causes even more problems than, than it's maybe even worth. Um, but we all, the human experience is one where we're all going to struggle in this pain in this world. And it's, I believe, all part of a process um, and how we deal with obstacles and difficulties in life begins to define us and define our character and who we are. And I think that uh, there's nobody that gets a pass in this life. Nobody. Absolutely. You, you are going well, to have troubles. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have tough days. You're going to have, you know, but the more you, you, I have found in my life that you get as older, you get, you're able to absorb the hits. You know, there are people in my industry, I can tell you right now, can't take a punch. You, and I'm, you're not meant to be in this business if you can't take a criticism. You can't, you can't you're not going to survive. You can't be you can't true to who life. you are if you can't take that punch. Well, your but, words left an indelible mark. I appreciate it, and I just wanted to say. Well, that. I'm very, I'm very honored you called. Thank you for staying with me all these years, and um, you know my many prayers and blessings to you and your family. And if I helped in any way, I, I'm glad I could. I, I, yes, um, absolutely. I'd like to know I have some positive impact in this world somehow, someplace, some way, uh, and it means a lot to me. Thank you. Wow, that was nice. That's why you guys kept saying, "Go to Kyle. Go to Kyle." Um, Everyone needs to know how good of a person you are, Sean. Okay. Did you take some pills today? Are you smoking dope in there? What are you guys doing? Did you drink the moonshine today? I, no, hey, the kidding. moonshine's all gone. All gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was an instance in Atlanta where a guy called my radio show. This wasn't it, obviously. but And the guy called to say goodbye. And I'm like, why? Are you moving? Where are you going? What's happening? You changed your life. It was a regular caller, which is a little more common in local radio and i said what's up and he said no i'm checking out I said, what do you mean you're checking out and he's like no 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 i'm done i'm i can't take it anymore and i'm like well what do you, you know what's going on here and he said he had taken a bunch of pills and swallowed a fifth of gin or whatever he was drinking and i remember eric seidel my program director at the time he knew instantaneously this was serious called in said don't let this guy off the phone call the police get his location no matter what you do keep him on the line and see if we can find out where he is anyway long story short we kept him on the phone tried to remind him you know there's always going to be obstacles tough days think of your kids think of what you love in life think of you know the best times you've had in your life you'll have them again we all go through these tough times and what happened was eventually I said, just tell me where you are. I, I promise you, we'll get you some help. Let me help you out. Uh, he gives his location. Then I realized 
the power of radio in that moment, within seconds, within seconds, the location, he was there. He gave the right location. A, I mean, it just, the cars descended on that place. Everybody wants to help the guy. An ambulance was listening. They want to help the guy. And it turned out that he had done that. That he had taken all those pills. That he did drink what he said he drank. I talked to him afterwards, well, sometime after. And he, you know, he's nice to me, but it was really all those people that were willing to just run and help people. And they ended up, and I realized at that moment, there's a responsibility being on the air. And we tried to, I don't take myself seriously. I take that part of it seriously. And thank God he was okay. And as time went on, he had done better and better and better. And, you know, people have tough times in life. People have tough days, tough backgrounds, tough experiences. Um, These are tough times. I will tell you, you know, to read the newspaper, to watch you know, people compare concentration camps, really, with detention centers. We look at the detention centers, and it's not perfect, but, I mean, soccer fields, TVs, telephones, medical supplies, cots, blankets, baby formula, diapers, whatever you need. No violence, like in other places. Um, you've got this this never, you know, Donald Trump, this is what, this is what NBC News is reporting, allowing an anchor to talk about Donald Trump's talking about exterminating Latinos. President Obama used the power of the presidency Mm -hmm. to try to pass comprehensive immigration reform with the Latino community, Latino leaders at the table. You now have a president, as you said, talking about exterminating Latinos. That is so off, just like the analogy of concentration camps. So the New York Times top fold uh, article today, their analysis tying the the, the El Paso killer's rhetoric in conservative media, well, okay, then do the same thing with the Bernie Sanders supporter that shot Steve Scalise and others, and do the same with the Warren supporter in, in Dayton. And if you're going to take it that far, then why don't you examine those that don't support the wall, every murder, every homicide, every drug deal, every heroin overdose of any drugs that come over, let's blame them there. Or Donnie Deutsch, another NBC genius. You own the blood, you Trump supporters. I mean, it's, you know, we're not on a plane. Or Elizabeth Warren claiming Michael Brown in Ferguson was murdered. No, he wasn't murdered. The eyewitnesses, one after another, after another, after another, after another, confirmed Aaron Wilson's account. He was not murdered. And, but this, it doesn't matter. It's all about Trump. It's all about hurting Trump. You know, look at look at Biden's disastrous days and it, just over the weekend. I mean, it, it got so bad. I mean, him saying that poor kids are just as bright as white kids. Challenge these students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. No, I really mean it, but think how we think Poor about it. Poor kids are just as bright as, as white kids. And, I, and then he says, I'll take truth over facts. And ladies huh? and gentlemen, it's time to get up. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Even his supporters know who he is. We got to let them know who we are. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Stop right there. We choose truth over facts. And that's not the end of his weekend. 
Then he said he was the vice president during the 2018 Parkland shooting. Those kids in Parkland came up to see me when I was vice president. Oh, boy. I watch what happened. Now, don't play the it. I get Park- it. Then he says, you know, he mentioned former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher when he was wanting to talk about the German Chancellor Merkel. I actually think he wanted to talk about Theresa May. That was more my interpretation. You know, he seemed to attribute Martin Luther King Jr. quote to Barack Obama. As Barack says, you know, we bent the arc, the curve towards justice. But poor white kid, poor kids are just as bright as white kids. He expresses condolences for shooting victims in Houston and Michigan. Okay, that's not where they took place. He was talking about El Paso, and then he was also talking about uh, Dayton. And then he says, you know, what he said about the poor kid. Then he, re- it, I mean, it just goes on and on. You know, you can't get a, a job at a 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. And, you know, here's storybook, man. He's clean and articulate and, you know... Wow. Storybook talking about then. And by the way, then his history of supporting segregation and then his mentors. Yeah, he's had a lot of great things to say about the former Klansman Bird. And then he didn't want busing and integration. And, you know, and then he, you know, touts the success of the assault weapons ban. But the truth, you know, well, that's not exactly true either. Then he's getting testy with an Iowa student. It's pretty bad. One other thing I want to get to, we're going to have a uh, update on the deep state coming up in the program today. But look, I don't know what happened in this Epstein case. People are asking me all weekend, what happened? I don't know. I agree with the Attorney General Barr. I mean, this was the Manhattan Correctional Center was the place where they put El Chapo. And El Chapo, that was the place that he wasn't going to escape from, nor did he. Now, the Attorney General rightly pointing out serious irregularities um, at the federal pen in Manhattan, he says, we're going to get to the bottom of this and there will be accountability. He also said any co-conspirators should not rest easy. They, the victims deserve justice. And I believe that the Southern District of New York has a case or else they wouldn't have brought it and they will get it. And then he said, you know, the most important part of this is the victims here who had the courage to come forward and deserve the opportunity to confront the accused. How did this happen? And we're going to check in with uh, Bernie Carrick, who used to run New York prisons and before he became police commissioner. But there are serious irregularities. And, you know, but I don't know what happened. I, I know that this guy, for whatever reason, probably his money had a lot of ties to a lot of people. There's a lot of conspiracy there. I don't know. No idea. But I do know that we have the ability to keep alive any prisoner we want to keep alive. And, you know, somebody's negligent. Do I think there's some grand conspiracy? No, probably whatever evidence, they already got it on other people if they might have been associated with Epstein. But you can't allow stuff like this to happen. You just can't. And even the most hardened criminals, we've got to protect them to get to the truth in all of this. But I don't know what it is. Hopefully we'll get to it. All right, a lot of news when we get back. Yeah, of course, the double standard exists. Um, These 302s, Bruce Orr, tip of the iceberg, massive insight we can glean from them. We have uh, Greg Jarrett, Tom Fitton coming up. Uh, Steve Scalise, who was shot, he doesn't blame Bernie Sanders. And what's going on with Epstein? Bernie Carrick will also check in as we move along on this busy Monday. 
This sex trafficking case was very important to the Department of Justice and to me personally. It was important to the dedicated prosecutors in the Southern District of New York and to our FBI agents who investigated the case and were preparing it for trial. Most importantly, this case was important to the victims who had the courage to come forward and deserve the opportunity to confront the accused in the courtroom. I was appalled, and indeed the whole department was, and frankly, angry to learn of the MCC's failure to adequately secure this prisoner. The victims deserve justice, and they will get it. Wow, powerful remarks of the Attorney General. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. Hour two, uh, a lot to get to. Now, the, the Attorney General slammed also the serious irregularities at what is known as the Manhattan Correctional Center. Uh, by the way, this was the place that was so secure, the only jail they believed on the East Coast that could possibly hold uh, El Chapo, who had already escaped from Mexican jails on two separate occasions. And in the wake of uh, Jeffrey Epstein's death, the promise, as you heard from the attorney general, is if you are complicit, if you are a co-conspirator, uh, don't rest easy because this case is not stopped in light of Epstein's death. Um, and what the eternal attorney general also said, serious irregularities at this institution in Manhattan where he committed allegedly suicide. We'll get to the bottom of what happened. There will be accountability, he said. He was speaking before law enforcement at a gathering in New Orleans. He also had a warning for those people involved, the co-conspirators, and he's delving deeper into this uh, every single day. And, you know, listen, if we, if we don't stop the people that, you know, commit crimes against children, and, and it raises a lot of questions from the get-go, but Epstein lawyers, they've now hired criminal defense attorneys. Not exactly sure what that is all about. We know that there is a long list of people that are prominent and well-known from Hollywood through the political world, Bill Clinton in particular. We know there was a, a 15 years ago, there was a falling out that Trump threw this guy out of Mar-a-Lago. We don't know the exact circumstances surrounding that. Uh, there had been varying reports on whether or not, you know, the extent of the relationship with Bill Clinton, uh, that he was listed as a passenger on 26 flights on his plane in 2002 and three, and several of the flights appear to be legs of a larger trip with multiple stops. So I'm not exactly sure what his relationship was, and I'm I'm not going to speculate. Unlike everybody else in the media, we don't rush to judgment. We're going to wait for the facts to come out. And, you know, Epstein isn't uh, in this particular case. Uh, I I think what they need, they probably already have that um, Epstein's lawyer did request that he be taken off suicide watch after the incident a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there is a New York Post article. I'm a little sympathetic to this because I remember my mom who worked as a prison guard in Nassau County. She was required to do 16 hour shifts, sometimes six, seven days in a row. I mean, they never had enough personnel. And one of the things in the New York Post said the Epstein's guards were working extreme overtime because they were so short-staffed, but but in that sense, you can't blame the officers at that point. New York officials, there was a New York Post story how 
something doesn't smell right. It's not Epstein's dead body, you know, that they're talking about, the circumstances of what it means. I'm not going to get into the speculation game at all. I have no idea what happened. But I do. I, I, it's something we better get to the bottom of. Joining us now is Bernie Carrick. He is the former police commissioner of the NYPD. And also, he was in charge of all of these prisons, including Rikers, for some five years. He understands uh, more than anybody what goes on there. Also, uh, Bill McGrady is with us. And he is uh, the former lieutenant commander of the NYPD counterterrorism unit. Uh, thank you both for being with us. Uh, Bernie, I've, I've talked to you at length about my mom's work, but they made this poor woman work 16-hour shifts sometimes for months and months and months and months in a row. Um, I'm a little sympathetic if they were doing that in this case, but if they were, that's no excuse if these guys were tired. Why didn't they staff no. the place properly? Yeah, well, it's no excuse, Sean. Uh, here's the thing. I'm not making one, you by know, the way. I'm not. Yeah, no, I, I get it. These are security posts, and, and you know, unlike in uh, other law enforcement positions, you can do without certain cops or certain positions during a tour in a jail or prison security post you cannot do without so they have to be manned a lot of times that encompasses overtime but even if they're on overtime they're still mandated to do bed checks every 15 to 30 minutes and those checks consist of looking into the cell there are no bed there there are no bars in that housing unit where this guy was it's a solid steel door with a four-inch window um, they look into the cell. They have to see a body, and that body has to be breathing. If they can't see he's breathing, they will actually wake him up um, to make sure he's alive. Uh, if they weren't doing those checks, there's a problem. And when you listen to the attorney general say irregularities, the first thing I think of is bed checks, cameras, surveillance, supervision. Those are the things that I would think of coming to mind as somebody that ran the largest jail system in the country. How did it happen that it was in isolation after a suicide attempt? What would I, I read your article on the Hill that would not have been normal practice if you were in charge. Why? No. Well, after suicide, uh, an attempt, uh, you'd have them on suicide watch and then you put them in with a buddy system. It would call the buddy system. You'd have somebody in the cell with him. Now, I have to tell you, one of the things that concerns me is they had him uh, with somebody in a cell, except that guy happened to be an upstate New York cop that has alleged to have killed four people. Why you would put him in a cell with that guy, I don't know. And I, I'm it, really it, curious it is true, decision. and you would know better than anybody, that in prison there are certain things that prisoners themselves, they have their own code of justice, if you will. Uh, maybe I'm not saying it the right way, but... If if you go to prison and you're you come in as a rat, somebody that they view as a rat, the odds are pretty good they're going to hate your guts. If you come in as a pervert pedophile, uh, they're going to hate your guts. Is that true? That's true. That's so true. as so when you were the commissioner, what did you do when those cases came up? You'd have to put these guys in administrative segregation. Now he was segregated. He was in in the shoe, what they call the special housing unit. It's nine south. That's a cell that's about uh, eight by 12, maybe eight by 15. It has two bunk beds, one on top of the other. Um, nothing else in that cell. There's no bars. There's no hooks. Uh, if he asphyxiated, as they say, he did so from the, you know, hanging from the, uh, from the bunk bed. And I can tell you, Sean, I, I've listened to people say, 
That can't happen. Well, that's nonsense. There's over 3,000 suicides in the U.S. prison systems, uh, jail systems, every year. You can hang yourself from a three-foot bar, from a three-foot hook, um, and you can kill yourself. To be honest, how? How do you do that? Well, what happens, listen, I'll give you one example. I had a guy in the Manhattan House of Detention, probably in 1997, took a pair of socks, a pair of black nylon socks, wrapped them around his neck, pulled it as a ligature around his neck, laid back in the bed on his back, and killed himself, himself, by himself, without no hooks, no nothing. It can be done. So for people to say, oh, it's impossible, it is not impossible, believe me. Bill, what's your take on all of this? I, I agree with the commissioner, but what stands out to me, Sean, you took the words right out of my mouth. You, you, you know, the, the high officials of the Manhattan Correctional Center have the highest profile inmate in their center since El Chapo. Now, Commissioner, I know you agree with me on this. In the NYPD, the correction uh, facilities, if you have high profile incidents or persons, there should have been like special attention, extra manning put on, extra supervisors, right. some sort of special attention detail. Because and you, he commit, tried to commit suicide a couple of weeks before. And how do you put him in the special housing unit with just minimum manning? It just, that's, it's profound to me. And I don't want to jump to conclusions, but a lot of questions that have to be answered about the, the cameras not working, the minimum manning. Something should have been done having this high-profile person in your facility. Well, they were able to take care of El Chapo, right, Bill? I mean, if you, if you can... Exactly. I mean, El Chapo, I, I guarantee there wasn't minimum manning around El Chapo, right? He broke out of that Mexican facility where they dug. They had a camera in his, in, his, in his cell 24 hours, and he dug his way out. Here you have Epstein with connections to some of the biggest people around the world, 24-hour news coverage, and you have two guards working, both on overtime, no extra supervisors, no extra special detail. Profound profound to me. Bernie, yeah. how would you, you know, have handled it being the commissioner? Well, listen, he would have had, you would have a supervisor on site for somebody like this. Now, it's not only his profile, it's the charges, it's also his history, what he's already mm-hmm. done. You know, he, they found a phony passport in a safe, supposedly in Manhattan. So he was looking to flee, right? You, he attempted suicide. Did he really attempt suicide or was he looking to get to a hospital? All these things have to be taken into consideration. And I, I agree with Bill. I mean, it's just common sense. You would have had extra supervision to oversee his movement and his bed checks. And for some reason, none of that worked. And, and I think the attorney general is absolutely right in being outraged that something like this could happen. What about this shortage of workers? Did you experience that when you were in charge and you were the prison commissioner? Uh, every, uh, just about every jail or prison system around the country. Because um, yeah, nobody wants to work in them. I mean, like, honestly, my mom it, did it 25 it is, years. It's it's hard work. It's a rough job. It's a dangerous job. It's it's a uh, you know it's it's a hard job, and uh, you know the turnover is great. And you know you're always going to have staffing issues. The bottom line is, you can move people around and you can you know get rid of people on certain posts, but security posts such as this, you need mandatory manpower. And they have to be there. And I don't care if they're on overtime or not. Those individual bed checks are mandatory. I remember my mom explaining. I mean, that's what she did all night, all night long, when she would work a midnight to 8 a.m. shift or 4 to 12, then 12 to uh, 8 a.m. I mean, those are brutal hours. And that was what her job was when they were sleeping. 
All right, we continue with former NYPD Commissioner uh, Bernard Carrick is with us, also former Lieutenant Commander of the NYPD Counterterrorism Unit, Bill McGrorty. And let me ask you this. Anybody that is in a place like Rikers or in a, any one of these, you know, think of the, the, hardened, the harder prisons that we have. Um, obviously, you're dealing with the most violent at times. How is this whole segregation how are these determinations made? Here's what happens, Sean. A determination is made based on the security risk, a threat to the institution, a threat to staff, a threat to themselves, or an escape risk. Those those things right there is how the determination is made where the housing is going to be. Now, this guy wasn't a threat to staff or the institution. He could have been placed in administrative segregation like a celled area where they, he's around the desk, where they can keep an eye on him 24 hours a day, physically mm-hmm. see him through the bars. That's one of the ways at Rikers, admin seg was done like that. You put him in with other guys in the same classification as he was, put him in there, they keep an eye on him, and it also keeps an eye on him. That way, the guy is never alone. He's always monitored, and, uh, and you, you don't run into these problems. But to take a guy... There's no worse thing you could do than take a suicidal inmate, stick him in solitary confinement. I, solitary I think maybe I've watched too many of these shows, but I mean, I know they do shakedowns of these prisons, uh, these, you know, these cells in particular. And, you know, these guys have they're pretty creative and there are murders in prison. You got the most violent and it still happens. Drugs in prison. It still gets in. Uh, and Bill, I just I can't believe we haven't added maybe the degree to which technology can keep everybody up to speed in terms of it at night. If it's a little extra noisy or somebody's doing something, you're going to be able to look right there on the monitor and see it. You're right. And Sean. You, you talk about things that get in. You know, it was reported in a, a local paper up by me on July 25th that, that Epstein's cellmate, Fataglione, on July 3rd, when they removed him, they did a shakedown, they found a cell phone in his in his uh, jail cell. <clears throat> it was reported on the 25th. Now, it, like I said before, you don't want to jump to conclusions, but this is a suspicious death that needs to be investigated, and there's a lot of things that need to be looked at, such as... You know the visitors to the set to the to the facility. You know the cell phone that was found on Tataglione. DNA evidence. Is there any DNA under his fingernails? Things like that. A lot of questions have to be answered. And I and I have full faith in Barr and uh, his, the the Inspector General that they'll get to the bottom of this. All right. Thank you both for being with us. Uh, appreciate it, uh, Commissioner Bernie Kerrig and and Bill McGrady is with us. Former Lieutenant Commander NYPD Counterterrorism. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, Steve Scalise on this blame game over shootings. We have a a new development. Prosecutors now say that the Dayton shooter had a co-conspirator. We'll get to that. Uh, When I think about that day two years ago... You're just getting very, very scant details, but it appears that something has happened at a congressional ball game. Steve Scalise has been shot. Aides say he was practicing baseball early this morning in Alexandria, Virginia. When he arrived, he uh, was in critical condition with an imminent risk of death. Congressman Scalise is a friend. He's a patriot. And he's a fighter. 
There were dark days when I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to walk again. Uh, but uh, throughout that whole time, just the, the constant flow of prayers, the, the love and the support, uh, it was incredibly powerful. Uh, but, but I always had a constant drive. I, I wanted to get back to work. I wanted to go back to doing the things I loved again. The legend from Louisiana, Congressman Steve and ultimately, I was able to go back out on that ball field on the one-year anniversary. Ground ball to second is Scalise. Throws him out at first. From his knees, the entire infield, the entire field goes over to congratulate him and give him a big hug. How about that? For the very first pitch, he gets the ground ball and throws out Ruiz at first base. What a moment. You know, when I look back as we embark upon this two-year anniversary, uh, I still have a lot of emotions, but, but a lot of special feelings for uh, for the friends, the, the heroes, the miracles, and, and, and all of you who prayed. And just so you know, we, even if we don't know this guy, we're praying for him and we want him to be better. And, uh, and I am better. I keep getting better every day. Well, first of all, I, I, my heart breaks, as everybody's does, when you see what happened. There's no place for it, uh, whether it's somebody that's racist, that, that hates a certain ethnic group. Uh, there's no place for those kind of attacks and attacking people based on, on their ethnicity. But to try to assign blame to somebody else, I think, is a very slippery slope. Uh, because the president's no more responsible for that shooting as your next guest, Bernie Sanders, is for my shooting. And he's not, by the way, responsible. The shooter is responsible. What we need to do is find out those people that have slipped through the cracks, and we've seen it in shooting after shooting, Sutherland Springs, Charleston, uh, even in Dayton, he had a hit list and a rape list, and yet none of that was in the system. Let's make sure these background check systems work properly and are rooting out the people that shouldn't be able to legally purchase a gun, but currently are because the system hasn't worked. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. It's never been this bad, this intense, this early. Don't think that anything in every insane accusation that you hear is to ratchet up emotions, to get everybody all worked up any way they can so that their political agenda, so they're going to get their base to come out and vote because they think that, oh, what do they say over at MSDNC, that Trump is talking about exterminating Latinos, that actually was said by a host on MSDNC, and it goes. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, yeah, that, and of course, then you have the the Bette Midlers, the Hollywood stars that I'm sure all have their own and can pay for their own armed guards. And hey, NRA, how many lives did you take today? Uh, collusion, collusion, Russia, Russia. It's just it, a different day, different talking point. But same rhetoric, and it's all designed to work people up into a frenzy, and maybe successfully. I mean, the idea that the New York Times top fold today is out there in their analysis trying to tie the beliefs in the manifesto of this El Paso shooter to conservatives on radio and TV is absurd. It's, it, is, it is, well, then if that's the logic... Then the Elizabeth Warren supporter, socialist in Dayton, well, Elizabeth Warren is the one responsible there. Or in the case of Steve Scalise, and we know what happened, and Steve Scalise, many of you may not know, and he's going to join us in a second. 
He nearly died that day. I forget how many transfusions he was getting, but he was getting a lot. And there were moments where they didn't think this was going to, that he was going to make it in all of this. Or, you know, Donnie Deutsch over there at MSDNC, you know, to Trump supporters, you own the blood. You got to understand they're in a very difficult, frustrated place now because they're two and a half year conspiracy theories. It fell flat on its face. It always was going to. Anybody that had any discerning, objective eye could see where this was all going. You know, there's a reason we're right on this show. We were right about Duke lacrosse, right about UVA, right about the Cambridge police. Why, early in my career, I was right about Richard Jewell. You know, the reason we're right is we actually do real work and real investigative reporting and real phone calls, and we actually take the time to... Like in the Duke lacrosse case, to drive out to Garden City, Long Island, and meet with the kids and the families instead of rushing to judgment. Saw it with the Kavanaugh case. We saw it with this kid, Nicholas Sandman. The only one that is being intellectually honest as it relates to a shooting or a shooter, whatever their sick, twisted, evil, ugly ideology happens to be, uh, it's still evil, it's still sick, and you can't say, well, just because... It's a Bernie Sanders supporter, Elizabeth Warren supporter, or a Trump supporter, or uh, somebody that listens to talk radio or watches Fox News. How they respond? They did it. They did it. They did it. The real anger is on the left. The real rage is on the left right now. Anyway, Steve Scalise is with us. Thank God he is. Um, What he went through in that ball field that day. Uh, How many blood transfusions did you end up having, uh, Congressman, at that time? Hey, Sean. Uh, How are you? We're glad you're with us. And always good to be back with you. Uh, Look, I mean, I had I'd lost. I literally had a zero blood pressure when I showed up at the hospital. And my trauma surgeon told me it took 20 units of blood, which the normal body maybe has about. I almost didn't make it. And uh, thank God a lot of things went the right way for me and uh, and I was able to pull it out but nine did your doctors later, tell you how close you were to death because I I was making as many phone calls as I could to see what was going on there and I remember one guy said it's very touch and go he's now on at yeah. that time like your ninth transfu- transfusion which was never good yeah my my trauma surgeon told me after we we kind of had a long talk about what really went on those first two days and he said especially the first night, he said there were two different times where he wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And, you know, it was, there was a lot of internal damage. There were a lot of organs that were shredded. The bullet, you know, it's a 762 caliber bullet that went into me and it broke into well over a hundred pieces. And so it's just slicing through arteries and organs. And they had to literally just piece things back together one at a time. And, you know, you sew one thing up and you see blood coming out of a different place. And so that was going on throughout the entire first night. So one of the things in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of evil even, and I know you don't blame Bernie Sanders for the fact that it was a Bernie Sanders supporter shooting you. And I I said so at the time. I don't blame Bernie Sanders. I don't blame Elizabeth Warren for Dayton. And I don't blame uh, the president or talk radio or, or Fox News, which is what the New York Times is trying to do today for what happened in El Paso. But in the midst of this, we, you know, think back to 9-11, all those guys, first responders, cops and firemen going up when everybody else is going down the stairs and trying to get the hell out of there. But they did it. They knew the risks. And yet they love their fellow man so much they're willing to take that risk. 
in your case, you had two officers. If I remember the name, I think it was uh, a, a David, David Bailey David Baling, Crystal and Crystal Griner. Griner. I mean, yeah, I I'll, I never saw anything like it because, you know, I'm I'm familiar with the use of a firearm. I've been a pis- pistol marksman since I'm ten, but um, for them to walk out with pistols when the sh- your shooter had a a long rifle at a distance and had cover, and they walk right out into the middle of an open field, it's almost the odds are 99% you're going to get killed in that situation. Well, look, uh, I chronicled it in my book back in the game. I mean, we you literally look at that section in the book where I, I went into detail about what David had to go through at first base. And anybody that knows a baseball diamond, the shooter's hiding behind the third base dugout. David's on first base, basically wide open, exposed in a shootout. The shooter's got, like you said, uh, an SKS rifle, uh, with those kind of caliber bullets, David's got a handgun, and he's got bullets literally whizzing by him, and he, he takes the shooter away from us and ultimately uh, was able to move the shooter and, and then take the shooter down with the help of Virginia police while Crystal Griner had her ankle blown out uh, by a massive gunshot, and David was shot as well. So both of them were shot, just like you talked about the 9-11 heroes running towards the danger when people were running away. David and Crystal ran towards the danger and saved me and saved all of us on that field. All right, quick break. More with House Republican Whip Steve Scalise, Louisiana, when we come back. All right, as we continue with House Republican Steve Scalise uh, talking about the blame game as it relates to these shootings that occur. What do you make of the environment now? I, look, I've, I've on this program every two and four years. It's predictable in terms of the tactics, the use of the race card. I mean, I can chronicle it all in 1998, a Democratic Missouri radio ad. If you elect Republicans, uh, black churches are going to burn and crosses are going to burn. And then that's the James Byrd ad in 2000. It was like my father was killed all over again. George Bush supported the, the death penalty for the for those responsible for that evil, heinous, murdering death of of James Byrd when they dragged this this man uh, behind a truck. Um, we know it when Al Gore says Republicans have the wrong agenda for African-Americans and they don't want to count you in the census. Or um, then we have, of course, Joe Biden. You know, they want to put you all back in chains and white folks greed runs a world in need. Now we find out that there was a picture of Louis Farrakhan with Barack Obama hidden for eight years. But it happens predictably every two and four years. But now it's happening almost every day. So I guess because I relate this to the fact that they failed to take out Trump with these investigations in the Mueller report. Yeah, it really is disgraceful. And you you see it, I mean, you know, in some of the churches and uh, in in just in in some of the rallies where they're saying things that are outrageous, you know, and they can say anything they want about a Republican and the mainstream media will give them a free pass. You know, and then you see what Joe Biden said, whether it's, you know, poor kids versus, you know, all of this stuff. I mean, he even said the other day that he was vice president when Parkland happened, and you remembered the kids coming to his office. Well, he wasn't vice president when it happened, and the kids didn't come to his office, and yet they can just say this, and they get a free pass, and the, the mainstream media blames everything on Trump. And, uh, you know, and, and look, thank goodness we got a president who's strong and tough, and, and he just keeps doing his job, helping people, you know, best, as you, you know the numbers, I mean, best opportunities for people of any demographic, white, black, Hispanic. Uh, this is the best time for you to live the American dream. 
uh, because of what Donald Trump's doing, and yet they still say this. What stuff is about the him every best day. way then, do you think, to counter this predictable playbook? Well, Sean, I think you've got to you've got to confront it with truth and facts, and just you know, you people people out there that are watching. I think they get all of this when they see these Hollywood phonies uh, saying all of this stuff, uh, you know, and then they're all going to leave and go to Canada and they never leave and go to Canada. Uh, people, people look at that and they just roll their eyes, but the mainstream media plays it up. And so we have to have confidence in the American people. You know, when you, when you go to a state like Pennsylvania, as the president's going to keep doing, you know, the swing states that are going to decide the election next year, you go there and you see people that are working that weren't working. You see people that, Look at Donald Trump as, and they know that he's the one that's fighting for him when nobody else was fight was fighting for him, and they see him getting attacked for it, and they're with Trump. And you know they they, they might not show up sometimes. They might not have showed up last year in the elections, but they're going to show up next year because they believe in Donald Trump, and and they see the good things that he's doing, and they tune out all of this this madness. I mean, when you see the ratings for CNN. Is it any surprise that the I, I try are that to tell bad? people this because they, they, for whatever reason, the angrier they get, the more shrill that they are, the more incendiary their comments get, the lower their ratings goes. I mean, they don't, they don't have a single show, Steve, not one, with over a million viewers. If I if I have a night under three, three and a half, it's a bad <laughs> night. Yeah, I didn't have a good night that night. I've heard Sean that C-SPAN some hours gets bigger ratings. Than CNN, and if you watch us on C-SPAN, you, you got to wait. By the wait, way, somebody's there's more. I used to be watching Bob Dorn and B1 Bob do special orders, B1 so I, I was probably one of them. Well, we're glad you're with us. It. Thanks for putting that perspective on it and having lived it. It just adds a lot of potency to the truth, which is individuals are responsible for their behavior. And nobody is inspiring anybody. And if we're going to say that's true, then they're responsible for their side. And, of course, they wouldn't accept that responsibility. Right. Um, and, and I've been very clear, as you pointed out, Bernie was not responsible no, for my shooting. No, not at all. He did, uh, he, Bernie wouldn't but, do but that to anybody. To neither would President Trump. Else, neither would you. Other than the shooter is not responsible. All right, Steve Scalise, thank you. Appreciate it. That last point, I think, is important. Why do you terminate your direct relationship with Christopher Steele and then encourage a top Justice Department official to keep meeting with him and then coming and briefing you about each of those meetings and each of those conversations? So that's point number one. It seems to me you're trying to hide some or trying to camouflage something when you do that. Second, why do you do 302s? You do 302s because you're out to get someone. And we know they weren't out to get Bruce Orr. They're out to get someone else. Who are they out to get? The president of the United States. Look at the 12302s and notice the dates. There's three bursts. There's the burst right after the election. There's the burst right after the inauguration. And then there's the ones in May right after the special counsel is named. So th this all just shows they were out to go after the president of the United States. And never forget the guy who was leading the investigation said Clinton should win 100 million to zero. Don't worry, Lisa, we'll stop Trump. We got an insurance policy. So that's the key takeaway. And you've been on this for a couple years. But when you now put this all together, it seems pretty clear what they were up to. All right. That was Jim Jordan uh, on our program the other day. Uh, news Roundup Information Overload. Glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free number. We, we will get to your calls in just a second. Um, we have now the Bruce Orr 302s. And we are not giving up our investigation into the investigators. 
uh, quite the contrary. Everything now is beginning to fall into place. And what it means is, is that this gives real confirmation. We, we've spent two and a half years telling you that there is a whole truthful narrative that it differs greatly from what it is that the 99% of the conspiracy theorists on TV and in the Democratic Party were pushing. We've now had four separate investigations. There is and has been and never was any Trump-Russia collusion. Never happened. Four separate investigations now, including the Mueller report. We have pointed out the double standard. We have a rigged investigation into Hillary. It is, there's no doubt whatsoever. The evidence, James Comey himself laid it out July 5th, uh, 2016. Top secret, classified, special access information on Hillary Clinton's server. Greg Jarrett has laid out every law that was broken when she put that information on a mom and pop shop server in a, in a bathroom closet and then subpoenaed emails, the deletions, the bleach bit, the hammers, the SIM cards removed. All of that happened. Then we find out that, well, with with all of the time and the broadest mandate ever given to a special counsel following the independent counsel statute that, of course, people like Jerry Nadler didn't like. He didn't want the Star Report, for example, released, although the law required it. The law did not require that Attorney General Barr open up to the public anything regarding the Mueller report, nothing. He had no obligation whatsoever to open a thing to anybody, but he gave us everything. And then the testimony of Mueller, which was an unmitigated disaster. Because the Democrats were hoping and praying that he might slip up and just say one thing that would that they could latch on to and say, all right, impeach, impeach, impeach. They didn't get it, but they're still saying it. If Donald Trump cures cancer, they're still going to hate him. But when you looked at a rigged investigation so a presidential candidate survives, that happened. She, you, you, so many upset in the Democratic Party, the media mob. That obstruction, well, there might be obstruction. Well, there was no underlying crime. And the, the fact that the president vented publicly about maybe firing Mueller, didn't fire Mueller, is not, and he had the constitutional authority under Article 2 to fire Mueller is meaningless. But they ignore her obstruction. They care about Russia, but they didn't care about a dossier that we now know the FBI spreadsheet showed was debunked over 90 some odd percent of it. But yet it became the basis, funneled money through a law firm to an op research firm to a foreign national by the name of Christopher Steele that we now know hated Donald Trump. And that he used ten and a half year old contacts to put together a lying dossier used by the Clinton campaign, paid for by the Clinton campaign, for the fact of smearing and besmirching Donald Trump. Then they use circular reporting. They leak out certain aspects of the dossier. Michael Isikoff prints it. Like the, you know, basically the stenographer that he is for all things left wing. David Korn, same thing. Washington Post, same thing. And they say, here, look, we've got all these sources. It's one source. And it becomes the bulk of information for a FISA warrant. And then we see that not one, but twice. It becomes a backdoor to spy on the Trump transition team, the Trump candidacy at that point. And then, of course, the Trump presidency. Now we learn that an awful lot of time has been spent by people like Attorney General Barr and John Durham abroad. And what we're beginning to piece together is that the spying that took place by Joseph Misfid, the professor involved with Papadopoulos, well, it turns out he's not a Russian spy. He's a Western spy. 
connected to Italian intelligence services. Then we find out, and it looks more and more like every day, that that we see the outsourcing of things that would be illegal in America, of intelligence gathering, spying on the American people uh, by our own intelligence leaders, not rank and file, for the purpose of circumventing U.S. law. But that gave another venue, avenue to spy on the Trump campaign, transition, and then later presidency. Now we have the 302s. 302s pretty much confirm, corroborate everything we've been saying. 302s are between, as we said, Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele. The one thing, the one mystery is here, we care about taxi medallions and loan applications and taxes, but we didn't care about a Russian dossier that was used to bludgeon a candidate and spy on a presidential campaign and then used in an effort to take down a duly elected president? Now, the reason we have it is because of Tom Fitton. He's the president of Judicial Watch. They've done a phenomenal job. Greg Jarrett, he's been all over this, identifying all the laws associated with all this. And Fox News legal analyst, uh, author of the number one bestseller, The Russia Hoax. Uh, Let's get your take on the 302s that you were able to get through the FOIA request. Uh, Tom Fitton. Hey, thank you, Sean. That was a great summary, by the way. You're to be compensated to be commended, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke in your ear, for your diligent, patriotic expose of this terrible corruption scandal. This this is a threat to our Republican form of government, this attack by these government agencies on uh, the candidate and then President Trump. Really terrible, and it's all confirmed in the 302. You get the outline of the Kukabal. We had to sue in federal court uh, to get access to this information. We waited over a year. Thankfully, my guess is Attorney General Barr decided to release uh, because they've been withholding them in their entirety until just the other day. And they show and outline what was going on that we've known about generally but didn't know that they knew or failed, they failed to admit that they knew. you got the FBI confirming that, according to Bruce Orr, that evidently Mr. Steele was, quote, desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him not being the U.S. president. So you get this confirmation of the outrageous bias. Obviously, he's working for Fusion GPS, the Clinton DNC uh, paid firm, not conveyed to the FISA courts. Uh, there were three renewals after that, at least, that that information wasn't conveyed. You hey, find Greg, out what, that- what, what renewals did – we know Comey signed the first one. He signed two other two – other- the three renewal applications? That's right. Comey signed the first one October of 2016, but so did Sally Yates, the Deputy Attorney General. Then in January, Yates and Comey signed uh, the first renewal. The second renewal was signed by Comey. By the way, was that David- before or after he told Donald Trump at Trump Tower that it was salacious but not after. verified? After. And, mm-hmm. and then in April of 2017, the second renewal signed by James Comey and Dana Buente, who was then the acting attorney general. And then the final uh, renewal was Rod Rosenstein and Andrew McCabe in June of 2017. But, you know, thank goodness for Judicial Watch that has uncovered so many of these documents, but it invites the question, what's been going on? Why, why do you have to wait a year and file a lawsuit for the government to turn over government documents that the public is entitled to see? Yet FBI Director Christopher Wray refused to turn them over. Uh, you know, he should be fired for systemic obstruction. It, it's an attempt to cut. But here's the thing. This, 
So Bruce Orr in August of 2016 warned everybody about the agenda of steel, told everybody right. Hillary paid for the dirty Russian dossier, Say it was, says it was unverified. Kathleen Kavalek said it about 10 days prior to Comey signing and Yates signing the first FISA application. So they were warned sufficiently on the top of a FISA application. It says verified. It's not. But the 302s also reveal that after Steele is fired for lying and leaking and paid, what, 11 months by the FBI on top of it, he's paid by the DNC, Hillary Clinton, an oligarch, and the FBI for the same lying information. Yeah. That's a pretty good gig if you can get it. So yeah. the question is, if they knew and it's it was unverified, that, that then makes it premeditated fraud on a FISA court. But then he's trying to back channel, we know through Bruce Orr's notes, He's trying to back channel more lies and propaganda to hurt Trump to the special counsel. Do we know if that ever happened, Tom? Well, uh, the, pre uh, the special counsel references the uh, dossier. He was hired to investigate the allegations in the dossier, and he concludes in his report that it's unverified. So every time he mentions dossier, you can go back and look at it. He says the unverified dossier. So Comey knew it was unverified in a salacious, a salacious and unverified in January of 2017. Mr. Strzok and Ms. Page, they talk about it together. They realize there's no there there just before Mueller's appointed. By the Two way, well, later, well, Mueller says it's unverified. let me get the exact words. Strzok said, yeah, there's no there there. And Lisa Page said, after nine months, again, this was closed door testimony, thanks to Congressman Doug Collins. She says, we found nothing. Those are yep. her words. Yep. And, and they're desperate to get information from Steele because nothing was being found. So just before Mueller's appointed, the OR, the OR 302 show, FBI agents were willing to go to the United Kingdom to talk to Christopher Steele, this Clinton agent, to get dirt on President Trump. So now the question is, what does it reveal to you? How did you take all of this in, obviously from the legal perspective, Greg Jarrett? Well, the 302s confirm what Orr said in his testimony behind closed doors. If you look at page 125, Orr said, quote, when I spoke to the FBI, I told them my wife was working for Fusion. I told them Fusion was doing research on Trump. I told them the information I got from Chris Steele, I, that he was desperate that Donald Trump not get elected. These are all the facts I provided the FBI. When was that? That was in the last day of uh, July 2016, the very day that the FBI launches officially the Trump-Russia investigation. So both, and then he goes on a few pages later in his deposition to say, I also warned the Department of Justice in addition to the FBI. So they knew all of this. They launched the investigation anyway. And then they went, as Tom pointed out, and you pointed out, to a FISA court, and they lied to the judges. And they concealed evidence, and they deceived uh, the judges. That's, in my, according to my count, six different felonies. All right, quick break. More with Greg Jarrett, Tom Fitton on the other side. Our investigation into the investigators continues. Tom Fitton, uh, huge get with the Bruce Orr 302s and Greg Jarrett, author of the number one bestseller, The Russia Hoax. Okay, now all this time, 16 hours, Durham is interv interviewing Christopher Steele. Now, 
unless Christopher Steele wants to get charged with perjury, he's going to have to say what he said in an interrogatory under oath, which is, I have no idea if any of it's true. Then he's going to have to explain why he was still backdooring information through Bruce Orr to try to get to the special counsel. Andrew Weissman knew all about this himself because he had been briefed in August of 2016 about the dirty dossier. So now the question is, legally, what are they looking for abroad, especially since the Mueller report got wrong that, in fact, Professor Misfit apparently was not Russian intelligence, but Western intelligence connected to Italy. Stefan Halper uh, working on behalf of Australia. It seems that the outsourcing of, of intelligence gathering that would otherwise be illegal in America to spy on American citizens, that that, in fact, occurred. Do you both see this the same way I do? Oh, yes. I mean, look, all the evidence out there, and I would think that this is what Durham's looking into, is to figure out whether there was a good faith basis to engage in this unprecedented spy operation against President Trump. And, uh, you know, Steele, I think, is going to say the truth in the sense that he wasn't the only one responsible for his dossier. Jonathan Weiner, the carried the State Department official, admitted in the Washington Post op-ed that he summarized information he was getting from Clinton operatives, Sidney Blumenthal and Cody Shear, uh, two longstanding and frankly. Uh, so in other words, Sidney's vicious Blumenthal, Cody Shear are also equally involved in, in just basically handing over lies. So the, so the Clinton campaign is paying for lies. They're using Christopher Steele, but their biggest supporters are feeding him lies, and he's just putting it in there without any verification. Right. The Clinton yeah. campaign was flooding the zone. The State Department, DOJ, FBI, Steele was only one conduit, and he had help, direct help from the Clintons, uh, the Obama State Department to feed information in on the Justice Department. Steele wasn't the only source for the Steele lies. All right, I want to find out where this is all going on the other side. 800 941 toll-free telephone number. We'll get to your calls. Uh, we have an amazing Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern Fox News Channel. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. All right, right to your calls in a second. I wanted to get final thoughts from our guests, Tom Fitton and Greg Jarrett. We're going to have a Horowitz report, and then it seems like it's going to be like a bar slash Durham report of some kind. Seems like that's going to be more damning. But do you see people being held accountable and being charged? Greg Jarrett. Oh, I absolutely do, because Comey was running a secret counterintelligence operation against Trump. That's the bottom line here. Counterintelligence is supposed to be for the benefit of the president. Instead, they were using it against the president. And Steele or and others, um, they were lying, uh, not only to the FISA court. Comey, in particular, was lying to the president. He kept assuring him he was not being investigated. These documents and others show that he was being investigated. So Comey and McCabe and Peter Strzok have a lot to answer for. And those answers, I think, will be provided by the IG. And do you, who are the names you would suspect that would be in legal jeopardy, likely indicted? Well, I don't know if anybody's going to be indicted, because uh, not all corrupt acts can be uh, crimes proven beyond reasonable doubt. But on my list, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, uh, Sally Yates, Rod Rosenstein, and Peter Strzok. What do you think, Tom Fitton, last word? Yeah, I, I think Peter Strzok is uh, the most significant figure probably to be indicted, the more senior you are. What about likely. Comey? Uh, you know, Comey is going to uh, hide behind his position. I had evidence, and this what is how I What about Brennan? What about Clapper? 
I, I, you know, um, we, I, you know, the good question there is, look, nothing's going to be done unless more information is released. Is these 302s need to be the tip of the iceberg? Well, we know, we know it's the tip of the iceberg. We know, we know what they have. We know the gang of eight material. We know the, the warrants themselves. And if they don't prove premeditated FISA fraud, I don't know what will. All right, Craig Jarrett, uh, Tom Pitton, thank you both. Uh, we are following it. We'll never stop our investigation of the investigators. We will hold them accountable. Too much at stake here, and not the least of which is, oh, do we have a dual justice system? Are people going to continue in the future to get away with rigging presidential elections or attempting to do so? Are they going to save favored candidates? Are they going to bludgeon with lies, Russian lies, other candidates? Are they going to try and take a duly elected president and remove that person from office? Are they going to turn the tools of intelligence on we, the American people? Uh, Are they going to outsource that which would be illegal to friendly countries of the United States. In other words, are we going to say to uh, our friends in Britain and and Italy and Australia and elsewhere, we're going to say, uh, we've got to outsource this because we're not allowed to do it. And then can you give us this information and do the spying for us? We'd appreciate it. It's, well, it's the same as doing it yourself. Uh, it's got to be, we got to get to the bottom of it as the bottom line. All right, let's hit the phones here. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Let's go to Rhonda's in Indiana. Rhonda, hi. How are you? And we're glad you hung in there. Thanks for being with us. You're on the Sean Hannity Show. Hi, Sean. Uh, I'm doing great. I am a mother of four boys from 29 down to 13. And I've been thinking a lot about these shooters and what has just happened in our country. Um, With our four boys, I can tell you that they did not come with a preset moral compass. Their father and I just decided from the get-go that that was our job, to have ours set straight, and then to put in the time and all the work that it takes to help children uh, find their own moral compass and get it set right. And I think of it really as the real face time. That means it takes months and years of their faces and our faces in the same space. It is hours and months of excruciating work. Some of it's delightful, but parenting I have found is the hardest job in the world and there have not been any shortcuts for it. Um, I, I don't replace- disagree, but I've got, I've got to be honest here. It, I, I'm, and I'm looking at everybody that I know in life. I don't know anybody that works the old fashioned nine to five, seven to three, eight to four thirty, you know, schedule. Any. Do you know people that work that way? Cause I don't. Well, I have been very fortunate because I have been able to telecommute. For Mm -hmm. years, I worked as a medical transcriptionist, so I have been at home. And so every sick day, snow day, vacation day, I was here, and they were supervised. I know not everybody can do that, but still, we have taken our responsibility to train them to transmit our faith and our values very seriously. And, you know, the teachers that the boys have had, their cross-country coaches, the preachers, they have all had a part, but I feel like that the primary responsibility for their teaching, their training, their moral training is on us. And, you know, for uh, for years. What, is, what, what do you mean? Is, I agree with every single word you're saying, but w- what are you trying to say with that? That, like, for example, you tying this, the, for example, I think mental illness is real. I know, yeah. like, my son in particular um he loves Fortnite. he loves uh what's that war game that everyone call of duty 
and all these other games and all yeah. his friends and they play it for hours and hours and hours. It gets annoying. But from my perspective, I'd rather be doing that than other things that they could be doing. And I know they're violent, but I know that they're also rooted in reality. Um, I don't blame videos. I don't blame movies. I don't blame the words of politicians or talk show hosts either. Um, I do think that some people, for a whole host of, of reasons, maybe even some of them hereditary, um, maybe some of them, uh, like that, maybe they have a predisposition in their family towards depression or mental illness of some kind. I don't, I, I don't have those answers. I'm not that person. Um, right. I believe a certain spirituality is often missing missing from a lot of people. They don't have a perspective, anything to cling to in those tough moments in life. I. You know, my belief in God has helped me a lot in my life. So I, I think there's a multitude of factors. Is it that you think that the biggest being that kids just run free? Because I kind of ran the streets as a kid. My parents were too busy. Well, one of the things we have tried to do is to teach our boys how to think, how to think critically and analytically, so that no matter what is going on in the culture, and I think you would agree with me, Sean, that there's a lot of cultural rot. And if they can't think for themselves, they're going to swallow it but, all. I mean, but do you not believe is, that the kid is going to be 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and they're going to do dumb stuff? Oh, yes, absolutely. You better believe it. I, I mean, let I mean, me ask you, did you, years, did you make those same mistakes that everybody else makes at that age? Because I did. I made them and more. Well, I, you know what? I did not because I was raised in a very conservative religious home. So I didn't, but some of my boys have. And so I have compassion for kids who go astray, for parents of kids who go astray. I mean, my husband and I have said for years, you know, we could have gotten... Well, let me ask you this. Were my parents wrong in allowing me at 12 years of age, and I mean 12, to wash dishes in a restaurant every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night till 2, 3 in the morning? Oh, my goodness, no. Our boys have had to work here. Our mantra was... Okay, now, my parents were asleep when I came home, and usually, well, to be honest, I mean, we had two two St. Pauli girl beers before we'd fly home on our bicycles. Um... That was my choice. Did my parents make a mistake by not checking my breath when I came in at 3.30? Well, I'm not going to sit in judgment on your parents, Sean, because what they did for you may not have worked for one of your siblings. At the end of the day, though, I think we look, we guide our kids. We have to accept that they're going to make mistakes. You have to accept that they're their own people at the end of the day. And I think that but I think all we really can do is you guide them, you guide them, you guide them, you pull them in, you rein them in, you punish them. You, you tell them no, you take the crap away from them. You know, I never hit my kids the way my father hit me with a belt, but all I have to do is take away their devices, their phone, their computer, their iPad, and that was it. I won. There was there's yeah, no I need understand. for any belts. <laughs> it was just a matter right. of seconds before they'd be banging on my door pleading for mercy. Yes. Well, it takes a lot of um, just sheer endurance. And, yeah, it's hard. And it's the me, hardest job there is. And the biggest. It is. The biggest worry no in the world. It, it is the biggest worry. There's no guarantee of success. So it takes it takes all of that, and sometimes it doesn't feel like it's enough. But, you know, for people of faith, which my husband and I are, we trust in God, that higher power, to fill in those gaps that we just simply in our humanity cannot fill. And there's a, there comes a time when you realize you have no control over these young adults. And that is the scariest feeling in the world. You know what? But you know what a bigger truth is? We don't have control over anything. 
you're right. You know, uh, biblically speaking, and I'm not the most religious person in the world, I want to be a better Christian. I say that all the time. You know, the funny thing is the media loves it when Christians fail, but Christians are just admitting that they're they're weak and admitting that they need help and asking God for that help and salvation. So it seems to be in turn, they're not saying they're perfect, they're saying they want to be better. Anyway, it's, you know, but if the Bible says the very hairs of your head were counted— and the stars are all accounted for, and God knew us before we were. Um, and if you believe in an Almighty, that there is no time ever everlasting. In other words, that I am sent you. That we have one capacity that uh, the animal's kingdom does not have, and that is an ability to know that we are here a consciousness that they don't have. They act on instinct and instinct only. And at some point, we that conscience has to drive our decision-making, right or wrong, we make it. And I exactly think it's a process, right. and I just think that all kids, you know, I, I had to learn through the school of hard knocks, I'll be honest. I had to learn, I, I, I've always had a conscience that let me know darn well when I was wrong. There was no ambiguity. And I never denied it either. I just saw it and then realized uh, I was wrong. I mean, to this day, it still constantly haunts me, <laughs> to be honest. You, you just did a beautiful job of summing up the greatness of, of the Almighty. And I'll just tell you this yet, Sean. I, that is the God that I have chosen to trust with my four sons. I feel that I could not do it without him. This job of being their mother is you far can't. bigger than I am. We, yes, if you can't, if you can't add a second to your life and you mm-hmm. can't add a hair to your head, I guess you can through extensions, but let's put that aside. Or if the very wow. hairs of your head are counted and the, you know, all these people that th- don't believe in, in a God to me, I, I always atheists, not agnostics necessarily. I think they're more honest, but an atheist, there is no God. Okay. Well, how did it happen? Well, all this energy came together and, and boom, explosion and perfection was laid out before us. Uh, where did the energy come from that created the explosion? There has to be a source of that, at least to my logical mind, scientific mind. And I believe that source is something greater than us that we're not meant to know until we pass on to the next phase, whatever that happens to be, which I believe is an afterlife. Boy, Sean, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate what you have just been saying. That takes a lot of Well, you brought it out of me. Some people bring this stuff out of me, and some people don't. I don't know why. So, all right, Rhonda, i got to get other calls in here quick, but God bless you and appreciate your call more than you know. Uh, Mike Canada, how are you? Glad you called, sir. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate you uh, having me on. And and, uh, unfortunately, uh, we got a segue from from that call to... uh, uh, this Epstein situation, and and my take on it is that I have never seen uh, the media shift the way that they have on this Epstein thing. If if you remember Saturday morning, uh, it seemed that the media, whose job I thought was to question authority, question the official story, try to figure out what was going on, it seemed like they were in absolute uh, on absolute defensive, right? Uh, when when about Trump what part? Out, about that, that there was anything suspicious, right? There was, there was none. none oh, of that they didn't want anybody to say that this is suspicious at all, or else you're a conspiracy. Well, now, by the way, the same people that have been p- 
pushing, peddling, selling, lying, propagandizing, misinforming, and advancing conspiracy theories. Now they're going to lecture anyone else that raises a question about Epstein. Look, here's the truth. Nobody knows what happened yet. We don't know. We do not know what happened to Epstein. We don't know if it's, you know, I think we just wait, we investigate, we find out what they come up with. It's sort of like due process, presumption of innocence in this in a, in a criminal case. You can apply those standards of not jumping the gun. But I do agree that the attorney general is right. This is there's serious irregularities. This shouldn't have happened. Um And I think that we ought to get answers. And I'm glad the attorney general also said that any co-conspirators, you better not rest easy because they're on it and they will be held accountable. Because, I, you know, listen, I don't think there's any lower form of human being than anybody that can harm a child, period. I don't think there's any greater evil than harming a child. Even the the most hardened prisoners are not going to accept you in jail if that's what you're guilty of. They'll accept everything else. But they're not going to accept that. Uh, appreciate your insight. 800 941 Sean, toll free telephone number. All right, Hannity tonight. We are loaded up. We have Bernie Carrick, Pam Bondi, Ken Starr, Reince Priebus, Sean Spicer, Larry Elder, Sebastian Gorka, Joe Concha. We'll get into Epstein. We'll get into the latest on the deep state. We'll get into Biden bashing things up as bad as you can in one weekend. It's all coming up. Set your DVR tonight, Hannity, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Fox News Channel. We'll see you then. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to this program. You make this possible. And yes, America is getting great again. Thanks to you. See you back here tomorrow.